get myself into this. Hey, hey Woody. Woody, come here. Listen, uh, has anybody ever died doing this? Just once. Hey, Bryn! Hey, sport! When this hat flies in the air, you better have your button gear. Hello and welcome to 80s movie tractor fight montage. This is Derek. <laughs> this is Anna. And, you know, we're going from the Chicago way <laughs> to... The Beaumont way. Yeah, where things are settled with uh, tractor fights. <laughs> In... Footloose. Footloose. 1984 Footloose. Just yeah, to be yeah, just in case. Totally clear. Yeah. We are not talking about the abomination. Is, it, is, is the, it an abomination? Well, I assume it's an abomination because okay. I haven't actually watched it. I mean, I don't I don't know. I uh I'm not familiar. Look, I wasn't familiar with the 1984 Footloose until very recently. So I feel like um I can't I can't be super critical of the other one. What was it? 2011? Correct. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Maybe they maybe they did okay. I don't know. But we're covering 1984. 1984. So, <laughs> let's get into it because we have actually, I think, a fair amount of like new people to discuss and We do. Chief among them is the screenwriter for this film, which <laughs> such an interesting addition to like it okay so the gentleman's name dean pitchford already a source of confusion because i thought it was dean pritchard from old school <laughs> had to double check that name and he is a fascinating figure because really he's a music guy mm -hmm. and like big time music guy like has won an oscar for his music contributions um and also what is really interesting about him is that he did get an oscar nomination for footloose this is on top of him writing the screenplay for it so you know i don't know him um and also <laughs> just in case you were wondering what he actually won for he won for fame uh, best original song and that of course is like an incredible song so he's mostly a music guy the reason why i said i don't know him is because i'm wondering if like he just had this idea because he is musically inclined and had this outlet for like a story that i mean obviously music plays such a huge role he came across the story like the real life story of that's the true town too yeah where where dancing had actually been like banned so I think that was the the inspiration for this. but Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think that he was inspired by that. And because of where his own background was, felt like I could I could make a story out of this. Yeah. And he did quite well in doing so. Um, so yeah, he Oscar nominee for like this song. Um, actually, let's see here. And looking at his, well, he had two. So for this particular movie, he was nominated for Best Original Song for the titular song, Footloose. That was with Kenny Loggins, who mm, yeah. is the voice behind it. Who helped him kick off those Sunday shoes. Exactly. And then he had another nomination, same movie, for Let's Hear It for the Boy. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, and that he shared with Tom Snow is the other uh, nominee for that. Um, like I said, one for fame. In 1990, he also was nominated for Best Original Song, um, again with Tom Snow, so they must collaborate a lot for the movie Chances Are, mm, and a song okay. called After All. So, okay. Now, as far as... Just him. He's the only one. He's the only credited writer. Yeah, I know. That's what's so wild about it, is that he is obviously wildly talented in the world of music, and turns out he's not such a bad writer either. As far as his writing (laughs) credits go, not a ton, because it's not really where most of his work has, has gone towards. I mean, like, if you look up his IMDb has 248 soundtrack credits. As far as writing goes, we have 1989 Sing. So not the animated one that came out a couple decades later. But um, we have that. We have a TV movie called The Washing Machine Man. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Like, is it the Maytag Man? Uh don't know. Don't know anything about that TV movie. Uh, We also have a TV special called Cinderella Frozen in Time. Okay. We have something... Now, this isn't the movie that I was just bagging on. We have something called Our Footloose Remake. Was that, like, the the name of that? The name one? of the project. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then he does have a credit for the 2011 Footloose. Both screenplay and story, so I feel like he actually was more involved than sometimes... I mean, people will get, like, credit... Um, for, story by or yeah something. or like characters by that sort of thing but so yeah such an interesting fellow mr dean pitchford so okay moving on to the director of this film gentleman by the name of herbert ross and it seems like well at least from the credits that i pulled like pretty solidly in the film world sometimes these people kind of move back and forth between television and film. Okay. I think most of his work was done in film. So a lot of really familiar titles. We have Goodbye, Mr. Chips, Play It Again, Sam, Funny Lady. He is an Oscar-nominated director. He got a nomination for Best Director, and then he must have produced on this because he also has a nomination for Best Picture for the film The Turning Point. Okay. He directed on The Goodbye Girl, Pennies from Heaven, I Ought to Be in Pictures, Protocol. I love this movie. I hope we do this one at some point, The Secret of My Success. Oh, yeah, that is a fun movie. He <laughs> he directed another one that I literally just saw, like the title the other day, scrolling through channels. Yeah. Max Dugan Returns. Oh, you were just talking about that yeah. 24 hours ago. Yeah, because yeah. It, it always confused me when I saw that title. When you put Returns in the title, I'm thinking it's a sequel. And I'm not, I'm not going to watch it because I never saw Max Dugan. But it turns That's out... That's really funny. Total standalone movie. Watch it, don't watch it. I don't know. I never, I never saw it. I did not add that one to his credits. <laughs> so I appreciate that you brought it up. Um, let's see. I think I had just finished saying, proto- oh no, Secret of My Success. Yeah. Um, he also, I mean, huge, huge movie, Steel Magnolias. I've heard of it. Kind of surprised he didn't get an Oscar nom for that one. Uh, directed My Blue Heaven. And then his final credit, Boys on the Side. All right. So a really substantial career directing. I mean, and he, some of his uncredited or additional crew credits, 
I thought it was he was a uh, uncredited choreographer for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Wow! So yeah. uh, we're talking Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Nineteen sixty-six. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uncredited choreographer. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. Okay, um, moving on to cinematography for this film, uh, the person who shot it gentleman by the name of rick wait so good job rick good job rick with rick minus the k so it's just r-i-c yeah yeah <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's i think it's still rick i don't know wh- i think it's how, still rick yeah how you lost your k <laughs> i've never seen I, well, Rick is usually short Rick. for Richard, right? Yeah, and maybe this no, is short for Ricard. There's no, well, there's no K in Richard. So mm. actually it makes more sense that it would just be R-I-C. Damn, you got me. Right? Yeah. Okay. So he started in uh, TV, did a lot of TV series, did a lot of TV movies. Um, one of the series that he was on for quite a while was Emergency! Exclamation point. Thank so, God there was, an, the yeah. way you read that, I'm like, <laughs> I hope there's an exclamation point. But then he pivots uh, pretty solidly into film. Mm-hmm. Um, did a ton, a ton of 80s movies. So he shot 48 Hours, Class, The Original Red Dawn, Brewster's Millions, Summer Rental. Just watched that. Literally was on TV this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Volunteers, Cobra, Adventures in Babysitting. So Not like, to be confused with Cobra Kai. Not to be. This is just the uh, Sylvester Stallone Cobra. Cobra. Was he like a, no, he was a truck driver when he was over the top. If you think I know anything more than the fact that he just happens to be in that movie, I don't. Yeah, sadly, I don't, I don't either, really. I mean, it's, it's on the table for covering it at some point. Yeah. But. If anyone wants to talk about Cobra. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a ton of 80s movies. Like I said, Adventures in Babysitting, Rambo 3, The Great Outdoors. Marked for death, out for death. So it seems like he had some kind of, I don't know if Steven Seagal just like really liked him because aren't those all, um, those are Steven, Steven Seagal movies. Which ones? Marked for death and out for justice. Uh, maybe, maybe. I'm pretty sure they are. Well, now I need to, we need to make sure that to we're. Do additional, oh, yep, they are. Okay, they thank are. you. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. But Steven Seagal was in. All, too many, too many Steven Seagal movies than I can name. So, and they all have kind of similar titles. So, yes, they do. You know, that's why. And it's the same. everyone's out for something, marked for something. It's the same confusion I always have when I'm like, isn't that a James Bond movie? Because they kind of have really similar titles as well. There are so many titles, and I'm pretty sure that the the one you asked me about on our last episode was not in fact, and I felt pretty bad for. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think you miss. Uh, misled there i think you actually like i'm not sure so yeah. that's about as clear as you can be well because there, so, there are a ton of books most of which have already been made like some of the classic bond movies like have the same title and then there were other like other like people took on that mantle of writing sure. james bond and i feel like i'm not sure if some of those were actually what became any of the newer movies but there's like two separate like lists of different titles now that concludes our james bond talk <laughs> So getting back to Rick Waite, the cinematographer for Footloose. Yeah, cinematographer <laughs> on Best Ribs in Town. 
His final credit was Assassin's Code in 2011. Yeah, so. that was the last thing he worked on after Best Ribs in Town from 2009. Oh, that, yeah. that was a movie? Yeah, I didn't make okay. that Okay, all right. So here's what's interesting. This is normally the part of the podcast where we would bring up the composer. Mm. We don't have a credited composer on this film. Well, there's not a whole lot of music in it, is there? What's so interesting is, you know, I don't know if this had something to do with specifically the fact that Dean Pitchford and and who he was in the world of cinema was attached to this film and the work he was already doing on it. I don't know if that somehow led to like, well, we're not going to have a composer on this. This is one of those 80s movies, much like, like, you know, you brought up the Siskel and Ebert review of this film. And in that review, they bring up Flashdance. They they do. And they bring it up in terms of it's writing the coattails of Flashdance. And between the two movies, I would rather see Flashdance. Uh, Gene Siskel liked it well enough. Like he, sure. he, he got it. He understood like, I'm just supposed to kind of enjoy this movie. And I did. But, but Roger Ebert just hated it. Well, the reason why I bring up Flashdance is because that is another movie. I mean, I think it precedes this by a year that has a very stacked soundtrack of popular 80s songs. Mm -hmm. And that is the tactic that they took with this film as well. And that is a tactic that they took with a lot of 80s movies. Um, This is really, I would say, the decade where soundtracks and popular music start to really become a very forward uh, element of a lot of popular films. I mean, some to more degree than other. I mean, like John Hughes was a huge fan of using popular music for yeah. his teen films. I mean, you have ones where it's like, there's like a couple songs that really hit, like even in Back to the Future, Huey Lewis in the News, you know? Um, not that it has necessarily the same kind of stacked soundtrack, I would say, as this film does. But, uh, but yeah, so instead of listing a composer and the credits that that composer would have. I just wrote down all the songs on the soundtrack because it actually is quite impressive. They all almost singularly become hits on their own. There was a music department, and I just want to give credit to one particular individual by the name of Jelly Bean Benitez, who provided additional production and and remix work. I saw that name, name and I think that they, yeah, that name is actually somewhat familiar to me. I think that they've done quite a bit. Um, Good job, Jelly Bean. (laughs) So... We already mentioned the titular song Footloose. We already mentioned that it did get an Oscar nom for Best Original Song, as well as Let's Hear It for the Boy uh, by Denise Williams, where she sung it, um, also got an Oscar nom for Best Original Song. But we have Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler. In the scene that we just uh, introduced this episode with, because what other song would you use for a tractor fight? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, you're absolutely right. We have Dancing in the Sheets by Shalimar. Uh, we have Almost Paradise by Ann Wilson and Mike Reno. From Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> yeah. Man, you just admitted that we... <laughs> <laughs> no shame. No I mean, shame. I, we I watched Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> I don't know if I admitted it, but if there was any question, I think you may have removed it. Dude, you totally outed us. I mean, you would not have known that if you didn't watch Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah, it's not the worst thing we watch. (laughs) 
In addition to 80s movies, we watch our fair share of bad reality television. It's true. Uh, okay. Getting back to these songs, we have my my personal favorite of all the songs on the soundtrack, I'm Free, Heaven Helps the Man, also by Kenny Loggins. Mm. The Girl Gets Around by Sammy Hagar. Somebody's Eyes, or yeah, Somebody's Eyes. I had that misspelled, some boy's eyes, but it's somebody's eyes, <laughs> um, by Carla Bonoff, I want to say, and then Never by Moving Pictures. So we, we talk about this a little bit later, but the soundtrack did phenomenally well. Mm-hmm. It took down from the top of the uh, Billboard charts a little album called Thriller, so that was pretty good. Pretty good. It's tough to, tough to be upset about that, yeah. unless you're... Like Michael Jackson, I guess. <laughs> All right. So moving on finally to the film editor on this film. Uh, we have a familiar face name that uh, we're bringing up here, Paul Hirsch. Hmm. So Paul Hirsch, like I literally just mentioned, has come up before. An amazing editing career. Uh, so Carrie Again, we brought that up, I think, in the last episode because of De Palma, and I wish we could cover that movie. I would love to cover that movie, but 70s movie, as well as Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope. I've heard of it. He actually won the Best Film Editing Oscar for that film, uh, alongside Richard Chu and Marsha Lucas, who, you know, if you read things, if you hear things... You might hear that she actually was the person who made sense of that movie. Okay. Um, she kind of behind the scenes gets a lot of credit for the editing of A New Hope. So, Or as uh, us old timers say, Star Wars. Star Wars. But I had to clarify because he also was the editor on Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. So, Which was, uh, man, that was a good movie. Great movie. Yeah. Great editing. We brought him up, oh boy, this was like a year and a half ago at this point. That's kind of crazy to say, for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Hmm. So he cut that film. He also cut The Secret of My Success. Oh, right. We're definitely going to cover this movie, aren't we? Um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He reteams with the director for Steel Magnolias, so he cuts on that. He cuts Dutch, Raising Cain, Falling Down, I Love Trouble, Mission Impossible, Hmm. Mighty Joe Young, Mission to Mars. He gets another Oscar nomination for Best Film Editing for the movie Ray. Okay. And then more recently, he cut Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol as well as the not awesome 2017 The Mummy. Mm. I don't think that's really his fault, but... But those other Mummy movies, the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies, particularly the first one, yes, really good. So good. Insanely fun and entertaining to watch. Yeah. And then they're like... What if we took all of the stuff that made that movie like super fun and interesting and we do the opposite of that? Yeah. And that's not his fault. It's not his fault. I I mean, we've seen the 2017 Mummy and yeah, it just doesn't have any fun to it. And I think with that kind of material, you got to have some fun with it. Yeah. They took it they took themselves way too seriously. Cats was more fun than that. Oh boy. Okay. So, moving on to the cast of this film. And you know what? We were wrong. I bet you anything cuz like in the last episode we're like, "Haven't we talked about Kevin Bacon before?" Technically, no. Yeah. Cuz he hasn't been in any of the films that we've covered, but oh. I feel like he's come up. 
Yeah. Like, I feel like we've probably, yeah, so yes, we have probably talked about Kevin Bacon before. We just haven't talked about him in conjunction to any of the films we've covered. It seems insane that he hasn't been in anything that we've, so far. we've covered, but yeah. okay. But, so he is the lead in this film. He plays Ren McCormick, uh, the high school kid who comes from the big city of Chicago uh, to this very small rural community. So, I mean, Kevin Bacon, he's so famous, there's six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I mean, (laughs) he's had an amazing career. Uh, And when you look at his credits, I think I pulled pulled a little, like, 21 of them. Um, You know, a crazy, crazy... And and for the most part, he, as a lot of people have been doing, he, a little bit later in his career, has pivoted over to television, but... For a good long while, he was like pretty strictly a film guy. Um, so among some of like his probably yeah. the first time you would have maybe seen him somewhere if you were watching films in chronological order, National Lampoon's Animal House. Yeah, his role in that uh, definitely know him from the first Friday the Thirteenth. Mm-hmm. He has a pretty gory, awesome kill scene. Spoiler: he dies. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, folks. Uh, he did did have a stint actually on the soap. Guiding Light. So he did a little TV um, earlier in his career. He's in Diner. That's another one we could cover at some point. Yeah. She's having a baby. Tremors. Flatliners. He said, she said. JFK. Uh, We just watched. I feel like this is just always on television, so it's hard to get away from it. A Few Good Men. Mm -hmm. It is. And we did. And we did. But I like him in it. He's good in that. The River Wild. Uh, he's pretty good in Apollo 13. I like him in that, too. Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. Picture Perfect. Uh, he, d- Have you ever seen... Maybe we watched it together, Wild Things. I mean, I've known that movie for a while. But yeah, I think I have. Yeah. It's... Uh, wild Things is a wild movie. And he plays it's in a the very... Title. Everybody's a very interesting character in that. And he is no exception. Stir of Echoes, that's actually a very good creepy that's one of my yeah one of my favorite movies that he's in um and i think it's supposed to be set in chicago isn't it i believe so yeah no yeah i I, there's a lot that i like about that movie and he is great in it he's great in it mystic river frost nixon x-men first class crazy stupid love and like i mentioned lately he's been doing some tv he has been on the following as well as city on a hill all right i really like kevin bacon He's he's solid. He I feel like there's yeah. actually I mean we keep calling out, oh yeah, he's really good in that. He's really good at I don't know if I've seen something where I'm like, oh god, he is he's pretty bad in that. I mean, he's in probably some things that aren't as aren't as like successful. If anything, it's because the material was not strong. Yeah, no, I was gonna say it's not, not his really fault. him. He's yeah. he's pretty much good in everything yeah, he's in. He really is. So okay, moving on to his love interest in the film, Lori Singer. She plays Ariel Moore. I think you brought up a pretty amazing point. Oh. Mm-hmm. In our talk with Vossen in terms of saying, you know what? I think an argument can be made that she is the lead character here. Yeah. I mean, I basically just did the same thing that I did for Say Anything, which is sure. when you identify the character who's actually going through, mm-hmm. who's like, like kind of similar to Say Anything, like Kevin Bacon's character is really more here in this town as a way of us working through her issues mm-hmm. and her character's development, which is 
look, fair enough. Possibly it's it's too much depth for Footloose. I get it. It's really the but, catalyst for her yeah. journey, him yeah. coming to town. Yeah. Because there already was a lot of conflict and tension between her and her father. I mean, Ren, Ren and his mom seem to get along just fine. She, more than anything, is just kind of worried about him. But there's no conflict in the same way that Ariel and her dad have conflict. Yeah. Um, his his mom seems to really trust him. Uh, so yeah, I would I would say that that's that's a really astute point that it's really her journey. I mean, I don't know that it matters much except like when you're when you're watching it. I just kind of noticed what she's going through. I mean, she had some really intense, sure did super intense yeah. stuff going on. Yeah. So her career, you know, not as big of a list of credits but so we've mentioned the film fame now that spawned a tv series for a while oh yeah she was in the tv series i often forget that that movie existed because the what? the tv show was like that's that's for whatever reason the tv show is what comes to mind whenever I oh hear my it. god the movie's so good okay she was in the falcon and the snowman hmm. the man with one red shoe Okay. Made in the USA and the 2017 The Institute. So she's been on and off working, but just, you know, I don't know if she is just very selective in what she decides to sign on for or not. But okay, moving on to the gentleman who plays her father in this film, Reverend Shaw Moore. We <laughs> very recently talked about him at length very recently john lithgow um now i always call him john lithgow do some people call him john lithgow i just split the difference and call him john lithgow Gow. 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 yeah i just kind of blend it together <laughs> say it super fast and that way no one can even tell if you've said it right or wrong i mean i don't know is it the midwestern thing that's making me say lithgow i don't know but in any case, he's phenomenal. I mean, we... He couldn't be more different in this movie oh. than the other movie we covered. No. No, he, he could not. And that is not hyperbole. <laughs> he literally could not be more different. And, you know, we gush. I certainly gushed with Fawcett in terms of just, like, how much I love him in this movie. And how much I appreciate that for him being the, quote, villain. One of them. Mm -hmm. He's a villain. Chuck's a villain. We'll get to Chuck in a minute. Um... There's a couple different villains, but he has so much depth. I think that maybe there is sparks of that, that maybe I've never read the original script. Maybe it's there, but I think certainly him as an actor yeah. brought so much to the role. So now, like we were saying, we just brought him up for Buckaroo Banzai. That was three episodes ago? I think so. At this point. So... We encourage you to go to Buckaroo Banzai to, uh, I mean, we talk about him quite a bit in that you, episode because he's yeah. so, yeah. You will hear about all the super cool stuff that he's done. Yes. And did in that movie. Just for due diligence, I'm going to quickly go through his list of credits here. So uh, first credit, and I remember actually bringing this up. It's called Dealing, colon, or the Berkeley to Boston 40 Brick Lost Bag Blues. Mm-hmm. All that jazz. I'm dancing as fast as I can. Can't dance any faster. The World According to Garp, for which he gets an Oscar nom for Best Supporting Actor. He follows that up with another Oscar nom for Best Supporting Actor for Terms of Endearment. I think he did this in between the two. Okay. 
Uh, or when he was like on break from Terms of Endearment, he came over and did his scenes for this movie. Buckaroo Banzai, just mentioned, I'll say the full name, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Dimension. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. 2010, The Year We Make Contact, Santa Claus the Movie. We're going to cover that at some point. It's fun. It's right. underrated. I okay. like it. All right. The Manhattan Project, Harry and the Hendersons, Racing Cane, Cliffhanger, The Pelican Brief. He is perhaps... We brought this up as well, most widely known for Third Rock from the Sun, the TV series. Yeah, he's also Lord Farquhar in uh, Shrek, isn't he? He is, yeah, and I didn't actually even have, I don't think I have anything where he did voice work. You lend his voice to that little bad guy. Yeah, no, he's great. Very distinctive voice. He was in the TV series Dexter. We talk about how great he was in that. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, another TV series, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, Interstellar, the 2019 Pet Cemetery, mm -hmm. and then more recently, the TV series The Crown and the movie Bombshell. A ton of Campbell Soup commercials. Oh my God, did he? Yeah. Not... Too Wait, were they, were they Campbell's or Progressive? Oh, my God. Oh, I think it's Progressive. Oh, my God, it's Progressive. Is that the name in the suit? Progresso? Progressive, yeah. Holy it's shit, not. what a mess this is. <laughs> progressive is the auto insurance. Progresso. That's the soup. That's the soup. All right, well, apologies yeah. <laughs> to both the insurance company and Campbell's for incorrectly identifying you. Campbell's, does Campbell's own it? No, I don't know. Probably. They probably own it a little bit. Okay. So moving on to, uh, I love this actress so much. She plays uh, Shaw Moore's wife in Ariel's Mother, Vi Moore, played by Diane Weist. We have also talked about her, although it was a bit longer yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. We have talked about her before, um, but it has been a minute. So I'm going to, you know not run through everything as quickly as I did uh, for Lithgow, but she's just fantastic. She's just... She's really good in In this. the same way, yeah. you know, I don't know if she got a lot on paper. You know, if you're looking at her character strictly from what the script gives you, she brings to it so much. Um, she's just a phenomenal actress. And, you know, her career... Um, Kind of samesies. Like, she started out a lot of film and later has gone into television. So some of her earlier credits, she also... I See, I think this is fun to bring up because also the nature of the material and Footloose. She also is in I'm Dancing As Fast As I Can. Neither one of them could dance any faster. Isn't that funny? I that think, is. I think it's funny. Uh, the Purple Rose of Cairo. Uh, she wins Best Supporting Actress for Hannah and Her Sisters. Hmm. She's in Radio Days. Now, you mentioned that we have brought her up before. That was for The Lost Boys. Yep. That was late in our first season, I want to say that we, yeah. That was um, part of our Halloween. That was about five, five years ago. <laughs> that was part of our Halloween series of films, if I'm remembering correctly, in our first season. So definitely hit that one up. Lost Boys is a great movie, and she's also great in that. Um, if you want to hear more about her, but there's vampires, there's this guy without vampires. a shirt playing a sax. <laughs> great movie. Sexy sax player. She's in Bright Lights, Big City. She gets an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress in Parenthood. 
I love, 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 love her in Edward Scissorhands. She's fantastic in that. Little Man Tate. She gets another Oscar. It's always for Best Supporting Actress. I want her to, I want her to get the lead role sometime. Um, for Bullets Over Broadway, she is in The Birdcage, The Horse Whisperer, pra- Practical Magic, which is a fun movie. Hmm. I like. Sandra Bullock's in it, right? Sandra Bullock is yep. in it. Nicole Kidman is in it as well. I just know that you like Sandra Bullock movies. I do. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No. <laughs> I was not suggesting otherwise. But you know what? Okay, but there's like a tiny bit of an asterisk with that. I know she can do comedy and she can do drama. I'm more of a fan of her comedy work. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know she got the Oscar for Blind Side. I saw it. It's fine. But I I think she's a tremendous comedic actress, and I really like her in she this She was time. hilarious in Gravity. She is good in Gravity. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's like, what's the one where she has a blindfold on? I didn't watch that movie. Oh, um, yeah, I don't know, but I know people it's were doing- It's not called Birdcage, but doesn't it have bird in the title? I know people are doing stupid things in, in response to that movie. Oh, like really? they're doing like challenges. Oh, like TikTok stuff? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And getting hurt because turns out what she was doing was a movie. Was a movie. It's yeah. make-believe. Yes. Not real, folks. Mm-mm. Okay. So she's in, I, and now we're going back to Diane Weist. <laughs> she's in I Am Sam. And then among her more recent TV stints, she's been in Law and Order, In Treatment, Life in Pieces, and Mayor of Kingston. Okay. Yeah, she, she had a, a pretty big role in uh, Law and Order, too, I think. Yeah. Like, she was the, the DA, not one of the assistant DAs. Yeah, but, yeah, it definitely was. She wasn't, like, I, I... I Because Law & Order gets so many, like, there are so many people who are on, like, an episode or yes. two. But she pretty had, like, a pretty... everybody who's ever acted, yeah. ever. Between, <laughs> between Law & Order and Supernatural, you got everyone. Yes. And I try to clarify that if I'm going to bring up a TV series, it's because they've had a recurring role. So it's more than just like a one-off, but yeah, I'm usually the one that brings up the one-offs. That's it. And that's fine. That's (laughs) fine. There's no problem with that. Okay. Moving on to Chris Penn, who plays Ren's like very quick new best friend. He is the boy that we're hearing it for. Yes. Yeah. He is. He is. And I guess he really couldn't dance. And they had to incorporate wrestling moves to help him along. Kinda, I guess whatever it takes. Kind of showed with some of the moves. Yeah. Yeah. He was very, he's either a great actor or just really could not dance to save his life. Okay. So among some of his <laughs> credits, and unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Yeah. He, he passed away, I want to say like 2006, around there. Um, but among some of the credits that he had, All the Right Moves, which technically is an 80s movie. We mm-hmm. could do that movie if we wanted to. Rumblefish, At Close Range, Reservoir Dogs. That's probably where a lot of people know him from. Yeah. Shortcuts, True Romance, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, Mulholland Falls, Rush Hour, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Corky Romano, and Starsky and Hutch. He looked like a different person in Footloose. Like, he looked great in this movie. And that was kind of like bittersweet Mm -hmm. knowing how things turned out. Yeah, he, I think, had some struggles, and I think that complications from, um, I mean, he his heart gave out, is yeah. from what, what I read, um, pretty much. But, okay, moving on to somebody who is very much just kind of like a support character in this, but has gone on to have her own huge career. Indeed. Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. She plays Rusty in this movie. I hope that's a nickname. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> what would the full name be for a Rusty? Right? I don't know. Rustins. That's why I'm like, what is what is her real name that Rusty is the name? I guess sometimes people just have nicknames that have nothing to do with their actual name. But hmm. so, yeah, she's had a great career and she is still working like this very minute on a TV series that is on the air right now. Um, kind of started in TV. Uh, she has probably more so than some of the other people we've talked about moved pretty smoothly between TV and film for, I would say, most of her career. Very early on, she was in the TV series Square Pegs. She was in, and we are doing this movie. I'm shocked we haven't yet because I love this movie. Oh, God, I just want to have fun. (laughs) Love it. You do love that movie. Love that movie. Um, So good. Good songs. Helen Hunt. All around fun time. We're going to do it. It's ridiculous. It's fun, just like the title <laughs> implies. Flight of the Navigator. She was in the TV series A Year in the Life, movie LA Story, TV series. So this is what I mean. She keeps going back and forth. Equal Justice, Honeymoon in Vegas. Uh, she's in, I can't call it a, I don't think I can call it a cult classic. I think people just love this movie, Hocus Pocus. It. Yeah, I don't think it's a cult classic necessarily, but I, I, I don't. I don't get it. It's totally people love fine. It though. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of people love it. Not exactly my Halloween movie. That doesn't matter. Other people love it. Mm-hmm. And they are currently filming Hocus Pocus 2. And oh. they did pull everybody, well, the three main female leads okay. from the original. So they're back at it. She was in Ed Wood, Miami Rhapsody, First Wives Club, Mars Attack, State and Maine. And then, okay. So what probably most people know her from, Sex in the City. Yeah. She is the star, Carrie Bradshaw, of that TV series that spawned two films. Um, I think probably financially they did fine. I know a lot of people have problems with the way that those films took, like where they took their stories, uh, especially the second one. Uh, in any case. I would say that the movie that I... I really genuinely enjoy, but it also has some of the most uncomfortable scenes in any movie she's in would be The Family Stone. That's the very next one I was going to bring up. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. They went to some really uncomfortable places (laughs) in that movie. (laughs) I never saw it in the theater, but I can imagine if I was seeing that in the theater, I would have just been kind of like squirming trying to get out of my seat because... She plays a really interesting character in that because she... I, I... I actually admire the depiction of that character because she's not an entirely likable character, but there is vulnerability to her where you understand kind of why she is perhaps unlikable. I mean, what they do in that film that I think is like, I don't, I can't really call it one of my favorite films, but what really like hit home for me is that they craft really believable characters because almost to a T, everybody in that movie has qualities about them that you absolutely love and then qualities about them that you're like, oh, I hate that. Yeah, it, it is a good movie. I don't know if it's one of my favorite movies. It's probably one of my favorite with her in it. That Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. She's in Failure to Launch, Smart People. I really like this TV series, Divorce. Yeah, sounds like a blast. <laughs> she was in that. And then, as I mentioned, so they brought back Minus Samantha. If my intonation uh, says anything, yeah, I'm not happy about that. But <laughs> they have, and just like that, uh, back on television. Why? Uh, why? 
So it's just Sex in the City, but it's not. It's like the it, it's all the same characters, right? Minus Samantha. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's been just a ton of stuff. We're not we're not gonna go down that path today. Is there no but... more sex, no more city? And just like that, that's that's all you got left? I don't Um, well, I mean What was the reason for the new title? I don't know. I don't know why they couldn't just call it like sex. Well, I mean, because like they did Dexter colon. Yeah. Whatever. You know, they do that a lot. I so. would have thought it'd be a sex in the city colon and just like that. Maybe it's just the title's too long. I don't know. Mm. Or me. You know what? I wonder if they maybe they No, I don't think that would happen. Maybe they I was going to say maybe they couldn't call it sex in the city because Samantha's not back. There's something about that. I don't know. Maybe That's maybe possible. to show yeah. that like Samantha like it's, it's going to be a different show because Samantha's no longer part of it. That's fair. I don't know. I am totally making that up. I don't exactly know why, but I got to be honest. I'm more interested in the title than. Uh... <laughs> but if you're so you weren't really, I I have watched multiple times every single episode of Sex in the City. Mm-hmm. You may not be aware that Carrie uses that line a lot throughout the series, so that it oh. makes sense for the world of the show. Okay, that'd that's be good called, to know. And just like that, okay, she says that a lot in the original series. That's fair. So okay. Moving on to John Laughlin. Laughlin? Thank you. I'd say that because there is an actual city named Laughlin, and that looks like it's spelled that way. Okay. He plays Woody. Everybody has these nicknames. Um, he is... Okay, so if you're like, who the hell is Woody? He's basically the young strapping man who also becomes Ron's friend. He is the one who Kevin Bacon at the clip we introduced Correct. the episode with tells him only one yes. person's died yes yeah uh so he he and willard are pals and then they bring ren into their fold when he comes into town so he's done some work um he was actually in the star wars holiday special oh my god that's amazing he, he is an imperial storm so you wouldn't know but he is an Imperial Stormtrooper. I don't even... You can find, like, really, like, horribly degraded versions of that on YouTube. hmm But... At some point, they're going to do a remastered. It, People want it. Yeah, I've watched part of it before, and it's just... It is a trip. So good for him to be part of that. He's in that. He was in the TV series The White Shadow. He then... Um, most of everything that I have left, film work. So he's in An Officer and a Gentleman, The Hills Have Eyes Part 2, Space Rage. Oh, Space Rage. You know this movie, The Lawnmower Man? Um, I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's in that. Yeah. He's yeah. in The Rock. <laughs> we'll just, I guess, keep moving yep. along. Operation Delta Force 4, Deep Vault. And then a lot of... <laughs> <laughs> what the? Not... Operation Delta Force 4, Deep Okay. It's a lot. That's, that's a it's lot. lot. And then he's made um, numerous TV appearances. And that's usually how I kind of identify like one-off type TV spots. I just like the short that he was in, The Pros and Cons of Breathing. Pros, you live. Oh, I didn't have that one. Yeah. So moving on, we just have a couple left. Elizabeth Gorsey. So she plays Wendy Jo. And that I think her and Woody are kind of a thing in the movie. Okay. If I'm remembering correctly. And she's the one that has like dark curly hair. She's the one that has dark curly hair who is not Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, not an extensive amount of credits, but um, a couple of hers, Grandview, USA. She's in Teen Wolf. So we're going to have to read. I mean, we are totally doing that movie at some point. 
And we need to rewatch to see exactly where she factors into that one because I, off the top of my head, don't remember. Hmm. And then the trouble with Dick. Got it. Okay, so moving on to the woman who is just like 80s mom in a lot of movies, Frances Lee McCain. She is Ren's mother in this particular film. She is Ethel McCormack. She, yeah, she's she's mom momming up the 80s yeah for I sure mean, but not just like generic mom like she actually for having a small role in this film i think she brings a lot of depth and like i said i really like the dynamic between her and ren yeah i think she's i don't be like oh she's a cool mom she's not like amy poehler and mean girls but like she <laughs> is you know like she trusts her kid she's worried about him she sometimes like she questions him on the choices that he's making, but ultimately she lets him make those choices. Yeah, when the brick is thrown in the window, yeah. she's like, well, that, that was- She's upset. Not great, but I don't blame you. Yeah, and she sticks up for her kid. Like, like there's little things and there's big things. Like, but they move in with like- Her brother. Yeah, that guy. Or no, I'm sorry. Her brother-in-law, it's her sister, is the blood relative. Um, but, you know, when it's his first day of school and she's like, you sure you wanna wear that tie? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I wanna wear the tie. She's like, okay. Yeah. And then at the end, when she's like, why are you doing this? And he explains his reasons to her, and she's like, okay. Like, I just really like that. She's it's a, good a parent mom. that trusts their kid. Yeah. Was she as dynamic as the mom that throws a gremlin into a microwave? <laughs> Same woman. Okay. You're getting ahead of me. <laughs> Sorry. So, her credits uh, earlier in her career, we have the TV series Apple's Way. And then, yes, moving into film work for a while, we have real life. To your point, she is the mother. In Gremlins. Yeah. Uh, she handles, she takes care of business. She does. And and actually, this now is the third time we have brought her up. But it's been a minute since we have. So we do have a Gremlins episode. Um, we do. That is, yeah. I want to say it's our finale of season one. So you can go Probably check like that one out. <laughs> check that out. If you so desire. She also is... Okay, so technically, she is Marty's grandmother mm -hmm. in Back to the Future. Um, that still makes her someone's mom. She's still, yeah. What's his mom's <laughs> name again? Lorraine. Thank you. Yeah. She's Lorraine's mother yeah. in Back to the Future. Um, not as substantial of a role, but she's fun in it. And so we also did a Back to the Future episode, yep. if you want to go check that one out. She also happens to be that, in Stamp. That was five years ago. The Back to the Future one was... One of the earliest what? ones we did, I think. Okay, but wasn't it wasn't it? five years ago, babe. Yeah, it feels it was, like it. <laughs> it's going to be two. It is a year and a half ago. Okay. Year and a half ago. <laughs> so she's also in Stand By Me, which we will certainly do that movie. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're kind of like jumping forward a bit. She is in Scream. She is in Patch Adams, True Crime, Stitch in Time. Uh, and then some of her... Like t she has TV work, of course, the girlfriend experience, and then again, just a ton of appearances that she's made on various shows. So, and I think I want to say in Scream, she's Tatum and Dewey's mom. Okay, pretty sure that's who she is in Scream. So, last of our actors that we are covering, Jim Youngs, who plays Chuck Cranston. That guy. That guy. He's a jerk. Like he is. He. <sighs> He is not, I'm going to say, as well-defined as Reverend Moore. No, he, he very much is just like the 80s villain guy. He's the 80s villain guy. I think that 
I mean, look, there is zero excuse for abuse of any kind, whether that's physical, emotional, mental, I don't care. He kind of hits all those. He, yeah, and he does hit all of those. Um, I think he, there is an insecurity about him because of him being kind of the small town guy. And for instance, when Ariel's like, I'm getting out of here, like I'm going to college. I think that really triggers him mm-hmm. because that makes him feel less than that she doesn't feel like he's enough and that the town that he i think wants to stay in is enough but he's like a big fish in a small pond there so why would he want to leave uh in any case so drives around all day with those big antlers on his truck mm -hmm. um among some of his work and what's funny is he has like an acting family his brother is john savage who's been in a ton of stuff um so he was in the tv series secrets of midland heights and then some of his film work, The Final Terror, Out of Control, Youngblood, mm-hmm. Nobody's Fool, Hot Shot, and Skeeter. Nice. Yeah. All right, Derek. Synopsis. Oh. A city teenager moves to a small town where rock music and dancing have been banned, and his rebellious spirit shakes up the populace. That's good enough for me. I mean, I appreciate that um, <laughs> that they covered both the dancing and rock music because it was both. It really was both. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was a problem for them. Um, yeah, I'm honestly fine with this. I, the only thing that I would say is like using the term rebellious. I don't think he's really rebellious. Well, from a certain point of view. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I guess that tells you where my sensibility like. like He's not real rebellious. He's just like, what's wrong with you people? Like, why why can you not dance? And why can you not have rock music? If like, you're John Lithgow and uh, you're trying to save everyone's souls, this kid comes in from Chicago with a little skinny tie. <laughs> I might think he's a little rebellious. So that's the only thing where I'm like, eh, yeah, I guess depending on your perspective, he's rebellious or maybe not. But now... We are called 80s movie montage. Sometimes these movies do not have montages. Sometimes we just don't bring them up. This one, though, it's a little hard to ignore that there are like multiple montages because they correlate so cleanly with the different songs that are part of the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every song is new opportunity for a montage. Exactly. The two that I will bring up, because there, I feel like there's a little ambiguity. Usually montage also implies like a somewhat significant passage of time yeah and his dance sequence in the warehouse yes and no exactly like i think that it's kind of showing almost pretty clear cut like just him you know getting out his frustration through a singular dance it's not like he was there for hours but you have the really really fun montage with him and willard yes let's hear it for the boy that certainly is like in every like in the very classic sense a montage where they're showing him over multiple days weeks learning how to dance getting better at it Mm -hmm. um so that's a really fun one and then again um to my favorite song uh in the film uh, I'm free. I love that song so much. Uh, them getting ready for the dance. Yeah, yeah. So, and they're all, and even though I'm going to pretty pretty confidently say that that song is not playing as they are cleaning up the factory or warehouse or whatever it is that they're cleaning up for the dance, but they're all like moving to the music. Yeah, like that was, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember watching it. It's not diegetic like, sound, but. They, they're not hearing this too, are they? <laughs> I think this is just for us to hear. It's, uh, they were, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was some music playing, but um, 
I thought that that was pretty funny. So, all right. Uh, on that note, let's talk to our friend Vasen. Let's do it. Okay. I'm so excited today to have on the show just somebody that I've come to consider a really cherished friend. And on top of that, he's so talented. He is an amazing writer. He's a producer on an awesome web series that I know we're going to talk about today. And I'm just so stoked to have you on the show. Welcome to the show, Vasana Rule. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and uh, talk some Footloose. Yeah. And, and on top of it, it's just like such a fun movie. So It really is. Yeah. yeah. All right. As I normally do, I'm going to kick things off by just asking, like, what if you if you can recall, like, do you have a memory of when you first saw this movie or and it doesn't have to be like, oh, this was the day and time, but just like any initial reactions that you had to the first time you experienced this film? Um, So for me, I kind of had, I think, a very roundabout way of actually seeing Footloose and that. you know, I think in terms of the movies I was watching growing up, like a little bit before then, but the movie that really got me into, I think, Footloose as a concept was um, growing up watching Marvel's like Gardens of the Galaxy. Um, oh, and interesting. In, uh, in, in the movie, uh, so like Peter Quill or like Chris Pratt's character, he's trying to like convince another character to like enjoy life and like that you know dancing's a good thing and then he like tells a story as is if it's a real story and not a movie about this young hero named Kevin Bacon <laughs> that showed the people That's the power right. of dance <laughs> and i remember just seeing that in theaters with my brother and it's like well now i got to check out footloose um and i i actually i didn't for i i think I, it was always kind of like large in my imagination of like, I got to see this at some point, but I think the thing that kind of put me over the edge um, was I think occasionally even with movies I haven't seen, like if there's like a clip or something, Mm -hmm. you know, you get those um, clips on YouTube. And then the the big thing that I would get before I had seen the movie was the kind of the, the footloose training montage. of Let's hear for the boy. Oh Um, yeah. And I, so before I actually saw Footloose, I saw both the 1984 and the 2011 versions Boo. of Ren teaching Willard how to dance. <laughs> I've not seen the, I know the remake. Yeah. So wait, it just to clarify, did you did you see the reboot before the original, or in what order did you see them? I um I've only fully seen. Uh, the 1984 one, and then okay. the 2011. I I think I'm just a fan of that particular scene, or like I've gotcha. seen that clip okay. a bunch of times. But then, so that kind of pushed me over the edge. Yeah. Okay, because I guess like to Derek's point, we have a chip on our shoulder about a lot of reboots, and so we've never seen the I, 2011. But you're telling us that they they replicated that specific montage. Is that right? They did. I think okay. uh, I can't speak to the quality of the rest <laughs> of the film, but um, so I don't uh, don't want to go on the record for that. But I will say that they do the "Let's Hear for the Boy" teaching him how to dance montage to perfection. That's okay. Good. All I right. I knew that there was a remake of some kind, but I got 
I get, look, I get a little confused with all the dancing 80s movies like Dirty Dancing. <laughs> that came back as a series, I think, right? I mean, yeah. it and had then, like a, you know, one of those like kind of sequels that was a long time after like Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Yeah. And yeah, they've had like different ways that they've tried to bring it back. But, okay. Yeah. But Foot, the Footloose was actually just like another movie remade of it, right? Like, yeah, I think it's just okay. a straight reboot. Okay. Yeah. With um, Julianne Huff, I think is her name. And it makes sense that you would, um, I think she, again, I'm saying this without like having seen the movie, but I, I'm going to take a guess that she plays the Ariel character and she is actually a really dynamite dancer. She's an amazing dancer, but what I, what I really enjoyed, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and this was the first time that I had seen the 1984 version of Footloose. And there's no reason for me to specify 1984 because I hadn't <laughs> seen neither. <laughs> uh, but when they, when they like cross over the state line, the ambiguous state line mm-hmm. to the uh, bar and start dancing and Ren and Ariel's character just start like furiously dancing at each other. <laughs> Like not really coordinated, just like going crazy. Like that seemed it's a great like scene. you don't need like a really great professional. You just need two people to go kind of crazy. <laughs> well, okay. So Vasan, you, you see these montages and that's what you said pushed you over the edge. So, I mean, was there just like too much buildup? Like, did it live up to what you thought it could be? Oh, it definitely did. Um, yeah, I think, uh, uh, for me, and then watching it, I feel like I probably saw it for the first time, like, I guess relatively recently, like back probably 2019 and oh, okay. again, like a day or two ago. And, uh, I think it just kind of, for me, just symbolized, I think particularly Ren and the whole story, just this kind of pursuit of like freedom mm-hmm. that, that Ren goes for as well as, uh, you know, with, with the whole kind of big culture clash at the center of Footloose. I feel like there is something that in kind of this very broad, like Americana view of looking at things, Mm -hmm, like made mm -hmm. me kind of appreciate like what this is, is an American story of that. You have these people with these like very different viewpoints that, um, you know, like really clash, but then it kind of to some extent with like Ariel to Shaw um, Ariel the Shaw or like um, would Ren like understand each other's viewpoints and mm-hmm. like find this I think really meaningful resolution. Yeah, remember when uh, the biggest conflicts in America were whether it was okay to dance or not? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but I think that that's that's a really beautifully stated point. I and in terms of there being an understanding, a resolution of of sorts. Uh, at the end of the movie, not to not to already skip ahead so far, but what I really liked about this movie is that Reverend Shaw or Reverend Moore, I should say, isn't just this like over the top villain. I I think that I mean, in part, I was telling Derek, I mean, I've seen this movie so many times uh, and, you know, I'm curious. We'll get into it, like your thoughts on you know, kind of the more corny 80s elements of it. But I'm so impressed that they were able to pull two really amazing actors in Diane Wiest and um, John Lithgow to play play the Reverend and his wife because they bring, I think, a groundedness. And to your point, Vasan, I think that even though, you know, you're supposed to naturally side with Ren and Ariel – 
there's I didn't. I hate dancing. <laughs> you really don't actually like dancing. But, <laughs> but um there's like an understanding. I mean, Derek, even when you were watching it for the first time in its entirety, yeah, last night, you could pick up on that probably a lot of why Reverend Moore was acting the way he was is because of yeah. the traumatic death of their son. Yeah, he he was dealing with that trauma and yeah. it like ultimately he was trying to protect you know his his daughter mm-hmm. everyone else in the town who he feels like the sense of responsibility for in the the way that he thought worked best and he i draw a distinction between him and crazy bow tie teacher who just like suddenly is like you know what i'm burning all these mm-hmm. books i don't even know if he was a teacher i think he was just like a busybody in town oh really yeah well the the bow tie convinced me that he was a teacher for some <laughs> reason because that seemed like a very uh educational thing well you know one thing that they say is like what always makes a great story is when you know the villain actually feels like they're in the right you know like they they're not just doing something for the sake of being evil or cruel or whatever they actually feel like morally they're in the right you just made another unintentional marvel connection i think uh, yeah exactly exactly so okay so vasen you see the movie for the first time i really am intrigued by what you said about kind of this idea of like the Americana of it all. And I think you're totally right. Um, and do you think that, you know, now we're so 84. Mm-hmm. So we are a little less than we're 38 years out. Do you think that it still has any, you know, kind does it still, resonate with you like for the way that you know Derek kind of alluded to that with like the way that people can't come together and understand each other do you feel like as corny of an 80s movie as it might be that there's something to be said that applies to 2022 definitely I I feel like you know um without painting like too too broad of a stroke like Mm -hmm. you know like in a particularly now more than ever type of thing um but, you know, I, I think to an extent, um, I, I, I definitely feel that, that, you know, we kind of see, I, like, the divides in America are, like, mm-hmm. much more evident probably right. now than they were in the 80s. And, um, yeah, I, I just felt like there's a lot of, in particularly how the Reverend and his wife were portrayed, just a lot of empathy on, mm-hmm. on both sides. And then... Um, you know, I think one thing that I really appreciated, and then uh, this is kind of a running joke uh, with my girlfriend and I, that at any kind of movie or TV show I've seen recently, I'll say like, oh, like it's about this thing. But like ultimately, it's a story between like father and son or mm-hmm. daughter or like something like that. But in the, like Footloose, you know, that was kind of the core of it, of Ren and his father and then mm-hmm. the reverend and his son, and then like you know beyond their beliefs, um, it was really like their personal relationships that are driving them to their mm-hmm. actions. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really astute point. Especially there's that it's it's kind of a really quick moment, and it's a very quiet scene. But when Ren actually comes over to the Moore house, and you cut into the scene where he's already talking to Reverend Moore and he says something to that effect where he's like, if you can explain my dad, you know, I'll try to kind of explain your son. Like, so you're, you're spot on 
with the way that it's really about these personal relationships between parent and child. Um, yeah, I think that's actually a really, really nice point beyond just like the town factions. Uh, that for me is why I think the film, you know, I've even just through the course of us talking for these last couple minutes have talked about it being like a corny 80s film. But I actually think there's there's like a solid foundation to the movie. Yeah, there were some surprising moments for me, like the the um, the focus on Ariel and like her scenes were always like really like some of the best scenes. I thought th- there's there's an argument you could make that she's actually the main character of this movie yeah. with the the change that she goes through mm-hmm. and the confrontation that she had with her uh, boyfriend whose name I can't remember, Chuck. but Chuck. Yeah, of course it is. So the fight that she has with him. <laughs> was like super intense and she held her own. Like he ultimately overpowered her, Mm -hmm. but she closed fisted, like slugs him in the face and beats the crap out of that stupid truck. Mm -hmm. And then the interaction that she had with, uh, with John Lithgow, the confrontation at the church. I thought that this movie was as much about her and that family developing and moving on beyond the trauma they went through. But then the other side is just like this corny eighties movie about Kevin Bacon dancing and glitter. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of <laughs> glitter at the end. <laughs> no, I think that's really well said. And actually I think that's a good jumping off point. Cause we've kind of been dancing around. Oh, um, Oh, I swear I did not. I swear I wasn't. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Does, I mean, it was well done. In any case. <laughs> well, because what I find so interesting Okay, so, you know, sometimes when we have guests on, they select a a film that they've seen, you know, in their childhood. And so the viewpoint on it, you know, comes in at a certain way. And I think it's really fascinating that this is actually a film that you were introduced to later in life. I love the inspiration for it, too. It's amazing. The 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 Guardians. Oh, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And so in terms of who is in the movie... I'm curious. Okay, so like now that we're almost four decades removed, arguably you would say that Kevin Bacon and then probably behind him, John Lithgow, have gone on to have the most high profile careers. So maybe in- Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, that's true too. That's true too. But she wasn't as prominently featured. Yeah. She, she was a character, but she wasn't. You yeah, know, no, but uh, you're totally right. So in terms of the performances, you know, were you able to kind of dive into, you know, who these characters are or was there any kind of disconnect because now multiple mm. actors in the film have gone on to have these like, you know, they're like movie stars and TV stars. So for you, how well were you able to connect to the characters without kind of just thinking about the actors that were playing them? I felt like, and then I, I, I think you kind of nailed on the head of those were like the big three that, you know, I'd seen the movie and like, Oh, I know these three pretty well. But um, with Kevin Bacon and Sarah Jessica Parker, I felt that they both, um, you know, played particularly in footloose, like roles that were so uh, apart from things that they do now. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that like, I, I didn't really feel that. And then with John Lithgow, I, I think maybe initially at the beginning of the movie did have a little bit like, Oh, this is the guy from 
third rock from the sun. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but then, um, you know, as, as I got further into the movie, I, I think I was just kind of awed by his performance. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it, I, I haven't seen, I believe, what was it Dexter? Um, that he plays yes. kind of more villains. I haven't, so I, I haven't seen that, but I figured that would kind of give me perspective, like you know, this other side. But I, mm-hmm. I feel like Footloose in itself just kind of gave me like, oh, he is uh, this incredible actor. Or I, I think well, the one thing I had seen him in was in uh, How I Met Your Mother. He plays mm-hmm. uh, Barney's uh, estranged father, and then I guess that felt very similar and kind of was something that made me feel like, oh, this is like, in a way, like I've kind of seen him do this before of particularly like exploring this kind of fractured relationship with his child. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. You watched that show, Derek. Do you remember? I, uh, I can't picture him in that show, but I have, I have seen it. I mean, I, I've seen Lithgow in a variety of things, anything where he's like a maniac in ricochet with Denzel Washington to Harry and the Hendersons cliffhanger cliffhanger. Uh, we just saw him in Buckaroo Banzai. He has just an incredible range and the ability to make you really believe that this is the worst person to like, this guy is just some like zany, Mm -hmm. like comedy relief character. And in footloose, I thought he did an amazing job of like, showing this emotion like you could feel the the pain that he still felt from what they had lost mm-hmm. and you could feel how much he like genuinely cared so it wasn't like this and and there's a lot of this in the 80s like almost cartoonishly like evil villainous yes. characters and he was not that and that's kind of what i expected when you read the synopsis and you just see that there's like this preacher who doesn't want anyone in the town to dance I expected him to be like way more over the top. And I was actually glad that, that it wasn't, there Mm -hmm. was way more nuance to this character in a movie that featured a tractor chicken fight. (laughs) (laughs) No, Vasan, I, I totally agree with you. And I'm glad with like some of the other examples that you brought up of his work, because when you put this in line with the character he played in Dexter and then the character he plays in third rot, like I I'm so blown away by his range and the fact that he successfully pulls off all those different types of characters. I he's really in the last couple of years, like become somebody that I just, I mean, I always did respect his work, but like it's, it's just really fascinating to me. I know he's still a very busy actor and, you know, is doing stuff. And I think he, um, I have not seen Dexter. What, what is the, What's the like one called? Yeah, Dexter. I want to say First Blood, but it's not First Blood. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. new, new Blood. There you go. Okay. Is that what it is? Okay, thank you. Um, I think he has an appearance in that. And so I he know will occasionally appear at the Century City Mall because we yeah, saw we him actually there. did see him at the <laughs> oh, that's mall once. <laughs> He's very tall. It's very distinct. Yeah, um, it's hard to miss him. But um, but in any case. I just, yeah, I love, he, he's kind of my favorite character in the movie because I do think there's so many layers to him, but that being said, I mean, how familiar, okay, so it sounds like probably for you, um, 
Well, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we get to Diane Weiss, which I really do love her in this movie, how did you feel about, you know, ostensibly the main character of the film, Ren? Like, did you feel like Kevin Bacon was the right person for this role? How how much did you gravitate towards this particular character? I, um, I, I feel like a lot. Like, I, I think uh, in a way, you know, I, I think... I definitely have the thing of sometimes watching movie and then just wanting to take something away from some main character Mm -hmm. that I really admired. Um, I feel like I definitely walked away from Footloose going like, I wish I was like a better dancer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then just like, I I was also just kind of amazed by like, you know, Ren is just kind of low key an Olympic gymnast throughout the movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's kind of ridiculous. He's much more than just this kid that likes to wear skinny ties and dance. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's actually quite talented. Yeah, he's doing like, um, yeah, he's doing flippy flip spins and <laughs> like also dancing very well. I I felt like, uh, well, no, I definitely I, I loved his portrayal. Um, I got two two quick anecdotes off oh, that. Okay. Um, one one one's I guess more of a trivia thing. Um, and that uh, Kevin Bacon, um, like for this role, in, in terms of like, in what we're discussing of like, did like if he did the role well, like I, I, I believe at the time, around movie came out in 1984. In 1982, um, the studio heads didn't want Kevin Bacon in the role, and then the reason, uh, and then they use a more crass term, but basically they found that he wasn't attractive enough for the role. Um, rude. but then very rude. And then, but the director, the producer thought otherwise they really wanted him in the role. And the way that they did it is they had screen tests after screen tests, but then they also, um, brought in this like world renowned hairstylist and oh. gave Kevin Bacon <laughs> a thousand, $1,500 haircut, what? which is insane, particularly like, I have to imagine like eighties inflation adjusted, but um, yeah, they give him this haircut and then to kind of emulate and the inspiration was uh, sting in the police, which you can okay. see with okay. the I could see spiked that. up hair. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And it, it seemed to, you know, I think the combination, the new look and then just the inundation, the screen tests turned the tide, uh, got him the role. Um, so I guess he got so, like a little bit of a glow up. <laughs> well, it's yeah. funny because I remember the moment when he first arrives to school and someone's dig at him is just, why don't you comb your hair? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, hey, pal, this haircut. <laughs> well, I mean, I did think it, one thing I thought was interesting. I was like, what are they trying to? And maybe I don't know if it has something to do with what you mentioned, Vasan, in terms of there being a little bit of pushback on him being in this role because they there are several comments made about how hot he is at the very beginning of the film. I mean, first of all, they have to say that, but I feel like it, I don't know if I've just seen this movie too many times or now I'm noticing these really minute things, but you know, Sarah Jessica Parker says it several times about him. And then even, I mean, this is kind of icky, but his little cousin <laughs> says how, how hot he is. <laughs> yeah. And which yeah. I was like, Ugh. but, um, 
that I wonder if they were like trying to, you know, inception people who <laughs> under the fear that people weren't going to think that he was attractive enough. I don't know. If they keep telling us, maybe. Yeah, I'll exactly. It. If they keep telling us. I mean, I that's a really interesting story. I mean, I don't know what one thing that we've brought up on the podcast before is like it seems like when films are getting cast, it, you know, virtually anybody in the roundabout right age and, you know, other features like are considered for the role. So I don't know. I think like Tom Cruise might've been considered for the role. And a Tom Selleck. Of, no, no, I always say that. Okay. Um, but I could understand, you know, he is having to carry a lot of the film on his shoulders. And up to that point, I mean, I don't know what was to like, he's in animal house and he's in Friday the 13th. Yeah. But I don't know if there's really anything else that he was known for at that point. So from that standpoint, I could understand, but that seems, yeah, a little rude that he, uh, they just think he did think he was good looking enough. This guy's not um, hot enough to dance in this movie. We need someone else. Well. Yeah. Well, so here's what I'm interested about. We're still going to get to Diane Weist, but, um, so Lori Singer, I agree with Derek wholeheartedly in that, and this is not a leading question because it's totally okay if you felt differently, but. I thought she was really effective in this role. And yeah, there actually is an argument, I think, that could be made for her being the main character. She hasn't had as high profile of a career as the, you know, other four major characters. And, you know, I'm just curious, Fasten, like, how did you feel about her? How did you feel about her character in the, you know, her evolution from who she was when you're first introduced to her? to who she is at the end, because I'm guessing if you, you know, especially if you're like new to the movie, the first couple of scenes you see with her, you think she's kind of psycho. That's why she's so... my favorite character in this movie. <laughs> so anyway, how did you feel about her, Vasen? I, yeah, I really enjoyed her portrayal. I definitely, I, I think I felt similar to Derek in that I didn't realize until this rewatch of how much she's featured, like, you know, and, she's always been central to the story, but just like, I feel like she's as much, if not more of the heart of Footloose kind of caught in between mm-hmm. Ren and the Reverend. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, I, I feel like I did have, you know, I, I think I saw it initially as with the um, jumping from car to car scene yeah. and aspects of that is like, you know, I, I initially like, Oh, you know, this is, she's rebelling. She's having fun. But then um, once it got to like the train tracks for Ren, it's like, man, she's really like putting her friends under some traumatic situations. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I did feel like overall, uh, I, I did really love seeing that progression of uh, starting from uh, our one shot that I really loved to kind of maybe encapsulate it is uh, in the beginning of the movie. You know, we see her like studying or doing her work, and then they have the shot like right over her shoulder, kind of in the darkness. We see the Reverend, yeah. um, and I thought that was great to kind of show. Like initially, he's kind of over her shoulder, and then he mm-hmm. she's like reluctant to kind of say how she feels about certain things, and then you know through the events of Footloose, uh, she just has to strive to like really be who she is and stand up for what she believes in. That's so beautifully said. And I agree. It's that is, I know what scene you're talking about. It's such a, 
lovely but like bittersweet scene because you can you can see how she's struggling like she wants to connect with her dad yeah she's trying to and he's like what is it yeah and and i i get that and that's part of his growth as a character is understanding that he still has a living child yeah to to connect with and and nurture and help as she goes into adulthood but um yeah that's a really a really well done scene it's i it's those quiet moments that i really really appreciate and even having seen this movie as many times as i have you know i feel like that is kind of the mark of a good film where you can kind of pick up those little things with each successive view you know things you haven't noticed before but okay so moving on to finally probably the person that i've like been leading up to the most diane beast i so she we made it to diane yeah she i know has not had as big of a career in terms of you know movie stardom or what have you but and it's fine. If, and then because of that, that's why I'm trying to, you know, indicate that like a lot of people maybe aren't super familiar with her work. Were Had you seen her in anything else before Footloose Fossen? I, I don't believe so, no. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's not surprising to me. I mean, she had a really great string of performances in the 80s. I think she picked up a couple Oscars along the way for her work. Yeah, I mean, she's... She's probably not as widely known as the others that we've mentioned, yeah. but she has been in like little small indie films like Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> oh yeah, she's in. <laughs> yep, I love it. Uh, the Lost 80s. Boys. <laughs> so, th- I mean, those are those are like eighties or just after eighties yep. for Scissorhands, but that hasn't necessarily translated into like she she's probably not as well known in twenty twenty two as some of the others. Yeah, are. like yeah. Kevin Bacon will be known for sure. forever because he's in everything. You know, in terms of like, because you have a lot of people and a lot of people that, you know, have gone on to have bigger careers, but did, did at all her character resonate with you? Like, how did you feel about her inclusion as a character in the film? Absolutely. No, I feel like you, uh, very similar to what, what you said of, um, like I, I felt her presence in every mm-hmm. scene and then just how she reacted to Reverend. And then, you know, when she did have, those moments to shine. Like, I feel like it's, it's really, I can really recall her lines more than some of the others uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, when she tells uh, the, uh, the one woman to, to sit down and let Ren have a moment to speak. Um, And then her, her uh, confrontation or not, not even caught, but just kind of, you know, this gentle, but firm, discussion with the reverend of mm-hmm. you know you you've done so much uh your congregation but like it's the one-on-one where you need some work like i mm-hmm. i could really kind of feel the presence and like impact that she left on him oh i love that scene so much and i think you're totally right like those even though she didn't have a lot what she had she delivered with like such impact yeah um i as i have done for a lot of these movies i will go back in time and watch the Siskel and Ebert review of the movie. And that's one of the, you know, Ebert commenting on, on the wife was one of my, one of the biggest things I disagreed with because he portrayed it as though she was really nowhere to be found until the end of the movie. And I think you're right, Anna, that she didn't necessarily have a lot that she was able to say, but every scene where, where you see her reacting 
you can like feel kind of the emotion and feel like that process has started so that by the time you get more towards the end where she tells the person to sit down, where she talks to Lithgow's character, you, it's no surprise. Like you, you know, kind of like how she's feeling and what she's going to try to persuade him to do Mm -hmm. to help him get through this. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they're really lovely together and they just, they work off of each other. So beautiful. I just, yeah, I, I really, if it's not clear already, (laughs) love, love them together and love them separately. I okay, so Vasan, I'm switching gears a little bit because I'm so curious. So I have had the great pleasure of getting to know your writing over the last couple of years. And I know that you too, or you also, um, get to like you you take an interest in stories about, you know, characters in high school and coming of age and struggles that they go through. So I'm curious as far as like your own work, how you responded to what the central conflict was in this film. Like, did it feel too simplistic for you? Did it feel realistic for you? I'm curious also, like when you were going through your own high school experience, was there anything of this nature that ever came up in your own life? Like maybe not, you're not allowed to dance, but like, you know, it, I, I just thought that this was a really interesting film that you picked because of where your own writing seems to gravitate. And so I was curious about how, if at all, you know, you had a particular response to what the conflict was in this film, because you also put a focus on like a lot of the, t- not all the time, but a lot of the time high school stories. I, um, I, that's, I actually hadn't really realized it till you just said it, but <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> I think that is probably a big reason. Like, um, uh, I remember, um, with the movie, uh, that just, or just came out licorice pizza or before, oh, before yeah. I had seen it. Um, I was, uh, like we I had a friend over our, um, my brother's friend for th- came over for Thanksgiving and he was Canadian and then said, uh, you know, we were talking about liquor speed zones. Like, I don't know if I'd like it. Like, I'm not really into like Americana or like coming of age type movies. And then my brother and I is like, oh, that's exactly what we like. Um, <laughs> we just got really into, like, oh, I guess we're good. This is probably why we want to see this. And that was probably the same with Footloose. Of, um, I think you know, kind of seeing like Ariel's uh, transformation, uh, Ariel's and uh, and Ren's, as well as uh, I think one thing that I. That as you, as you've probably seen with my writing is like really bring life like kind of the location. Um, and yes, that, you, you sure know, do. I just yeah. keep going back to the Bay Area, and then in this case, like <laughs> I think I loved how you know I felt like I I really and then because partially because they actually like shot this in Utah, and then you get those beautiful landscapes, and uh, yeah, I think it was like such an interesting peek into you know a world that I. I'm not really familiar with. Like we get so many stories that are based in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. New York, but to have like this, this small town in Utah and really bring it to life. I feel like that's also part of what made it very special. And then yeah, kind of lastly, just kind of the, I, I think there's, there's so much like joy to it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think in the central concept being this thing of like, you know, as it described in Guardians of the Galaxy, of like Kevin Bacon gets town to dance. Like, you know, I, I think having 
to some extent, this kind of zany concept, like this lighthearted concept with this grounded story. Like, I, I think it, that's one thing that, you know, really made me uh, ha- have, it, have an impact on me. I, I wish I knew what all these kids have been doing for the last five years, because when they're finally given the opportunity to dance, they don't dance. Out, <laughs> well, they, they don't at first, but when then when they do, they're all really good. <laughs> Right. Like the yeah, spoiler, they get their dance. Uh for anybody who doesn't know how Footloose turns out, um, they prevail and they, they get their I mean it's like prom, right? That's what it ends up being. I, I think it's it, prom. It feels like it. Or do yeah. they ever I'm wondering if they actually say They're kind that. of like and, dressed like they're at a prom. It's it's certainly yeah. Yeah. Certainly dressed like a prom. Um one thing that you said, Vasan, that really hit for me, you mentioned the word joy. And I think going off of what you just said, Derek, when they finally get to the dance, that's something that this sounds just so simplistic, but the ending of the film makes me just so happy. That one guy does the robot so good. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. There are some really incredible dancers that get their little moment. And I think that's something that I just really appreciate this about this movie. There's certainly the serious moments, um, you know, whenever the conversation turns towards Ariel's brother that's passed away, um, you know, it's actually a pretty heartbreaking scene when you see the townspeople burning books, uh, you know, so that it certainly has its fair share of more somber moments. They do but, really gloss over the book, like the book burning happens and then we all got to yeah, get back to the dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think that's one of the things that I just really appreciate about the movie is that there's so many moments of joy and it's certainly capped off with what I think is just such a joyous scene. But, you know, you mentioned at the top of our conversation that the first thing you were introduced to was Willard's like training montage mm. um, for teaching how to dance. And I think that that's another part of the film that's just so joyful and I don't know. I mean, I guess I sure if Cross can like come up with other films that have those moments, but I just think it's something that's like really special about this particular movie. So in terms of like when you're watching those scenes, how do you respond to them? Does it feel kind of corny because yes, there's this like eighties-ness about it? Or how how do you respond to those moments in the movie? Um I feel like for me, it's it's kind of that, you know, I really appreciate when movies or uh, the TV show has this concept um, that, and then it's you know maybe on paper or a little goofy, but then they just fully embrace it. And mm-hmm. I I really felt that with Footloose of you know they particularly like Kevin Bacon dancing in the warehouse. They really went for it, you know, and I feel oh, yeah. like, it, it, <laughs> but like, it, I think in the best way possible, like having him do all those flips and the, uh, like, even though on some level, it's like, wow, this is like, what am I watching? On the other hand, it's like, oh, I kind of get this, like, uh-huh. like this display of just the frustration that he feels. Um, yeah, I, I, I found that each of those scenes was... You know, I feel like Footloose, just like this is this is what we are. 
Mm -hmm. I, what I love most about the warehouse dance scene is that it begins with like him cranking up the, uh, the tunes in his beetle and then taking a massive drag from a smoke, huge swig of a beer. And then <laughs> let's, let's fucking have at it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's one thing that, okay. So I will say this much, and this is not, this is absolutely not, uh, just singling out Footloose. I think they're beginning to do a better job, or maybe it's just because I'm older, and so some actors look younger. But they definitely, I think, 80s in particular, sometimes would cast people where I'm like, I mean, look, I love Kevin Bacon in this movie, but he does not at all look like a high school student to me or acts like a high school student to me. I mean, he has a maturity about him that... Yeah. You know, some people even in their last year of college don't seem to have. So that I thought was really funny because I feel like when you see him taking a drag or a drink of beer, it kind of reaffirms like, yeah, this is probably like a guy who's actually 25 years old. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, that's OK. Yeah, I I really that's a very 80s thing. It's a very 80s thing. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's funny, you know. These films from the 80s, I mean, outside of Footloose, you know, are there other, any other movies that sp specifically like hone in on the teen film? Because it, they just really blew up in the 80s. And obviously, I have a certain affinity for a certain type of teen film. But like, you know, how how familiar or how much love do you have for those types of movies from that particular era? Um, well, I, I was definitely, you know, with, with the eighties, just like, I think all of the John Hughes films, yeah. uh, yeah. really resonated with me. Um, I think, uh, for the most part, you know, I think with the eighties, I, I think beyond that more associated with like kind of your Indiana Jones yeah. action adventure. Um, but I, I, I feel like that was maybe in, in a way Footloose was kind of this nexus of, um, you know, you had this teen movie, but then it, it almost kind of seemed like, you know, Ren is this stranger in a strange land. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> the strange land being Utah. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, just like, uh, uh, <laughs> like a place that in a way I, I hadn't really been exposed to. And then just like, um, you know, like make, making his own in, in this unfamiliar place. No, absolutely. I mean, that that's actually a really interesting point being made. I mean, he I'm trying to think of how many other 80s films we have. I mean, that could be a whole deep dive where the central character is lifted from what they know and, you know, placed into a, a totally. Fish out of water. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because usually like with the John Hughes films, um, typically it's just kind of like it's like more of a. I mean, th these issues are at play, I think, a little bit in Footloose. It's more of a socioeconomic kind of thing going on. You don't usually have a character that is brand new to the community. It's just that, like, you know, it's basically like the popular kids versus the not popular kids. I can think of one where family moved literally across the country, fish out of water, some bullying going on, and then through the power of karate... <laughs> Karate, you know. Sure, sure, sure. No, that's actually really good. That's an that's an excellent comparison. 
Um, so instead of dancing, he he just won with karate. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. It's that's actually a really, really great comparison of those like fish out of water stories, and like that. Yeah, that's why I find this era. That's why I gravitate towards it so much in terms of like. I mean, first of all, I love eighties films, but in particular, the teen genre that it already existed prior to the eighties, but it really just exploded um during this decade and yeah i mean for sure and look certainly uh not all aspects of these movies have aged well um certainly john hughes as much as i love him there are elements of his teen films that have very much not aged well i feel like footloose has aged fairly well fairly well in comparison yeah i mean and, and i would be remiss if we didn't at least bring up briefly one of the most amazing and wildly bizarre moments in the movie set to the tune of I need a hero. Like (laughs) how, how did it, how did they get to that? How did they get to, it was just, it was just brilliant. Like them getting in the tractors to just like drive at what appeared to be 15 miles an hour (laughs) to that song. I just, I felt like my brain was exploding trying to figure out how, how we all got here. Well, that, okay. So that makes me curious, Vasen. So look, I don't want you to have to reveal anything about your high school experience. You don't want to reveal, but when we're talking about these kind of classic, uh, you know, I'm going to meet you in the parking lot after school or yeah yeah i mean did you ever that that those kinds of storylines come up all or they did i I think they're getting again a little bit more realistic maybe but i don't know like did you ever not that you were the person who was like being told to meet someone in a parking lot after school for a fight but did anything like that (laughs) ever 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 happen in your high school there were there were definitely some fights. Um, okay. There was. Uh, I think if people were like smart about it, they would try to do it like off school at like oh, yeah. a park somewhere in town. But then there's one that I remember that happened like at the basketball court during PE, um, and then that was just that was nuts. Like the whole. I feel like the like three different PE classes just formed this like big huddle. As these Whoa. two guys duped it out. <gasps> yeah. That's exactly wow. yeah. That's exactly what it when it happens on campus, on the school grounds, ev- like literally everybody somehow at the school with like a spidey sense knows there's a fight. And so a giant <laughs> circle forms and everyone's just like, you know, you pick a side and you root. There was one at my high school that involved a <laughs> knife fight. That one was a little bit Yikes. more dangerous. Oh no. So I didn't have that in my <laughs> in my I mean, I, I, not that I was ever aware of, um, and I went to a pretty small high school, so I think that I would have heard something. No tractor knife fights. Yeah. Yeah. No tractor knife fights. Um, I mean, usually the, if there was going to be any kind of dispute, it was always like in terms of like gossip, you know, people talking about each other behind their backs, that kind of stuff. And maybe part of the reason why I really do resonate with this movie is because while it wasn't that dancing was in any way outlawed or I mean, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, but um, (laughs) I went to a conservative school. And so a lot of things that maybe would have been more normal, I don't know, um, 
we're not really encouraged. I don't think you're missing um, out with uh, the absence of a giant school brawl. Sure. No, I I don't want to say like, I feel like I missed out on something because I didn't get to, you know, witness a school fight. Or having but, someone tell you, I'm going to kick your ass after school. But yeah, I mean, but like the whole like not dancing thing. I know for some people that might just sound like so corny and like, come on. But there's a part of me that like can really understand there being a community where that is that is the central conflict. That was my initial thought or my initial response to the concept of this movie was this is ridiculous. But when I watched it, it somehow made sense. Yeah. It somehow it somehow all worked and it was like a really fun time. Well, the so I know we've been just having a great conversation. I the one thing I wanted to make sure that was brought up before we wrap up is Vossen, do are you at all familiar? Um, and it's so totally okay if you're not with the gentleman who wrote the screenplay for this film. Um, I I don't have the name, but was this sure? Uh, and then I definitely I, I I'm sure you know more than I do here. I feel like I just kind of saw this right before uh, our our call, and that um, uh, wasn't this. Was he the one that like was in the school in like I believe Oklahoma where this actually happened? Oh, you know that's a really great question. I didn't do a deep enough dive. I know that this is loosely based on a true story, but I don't know if it's his true story. Um, very possibly because yeah, I'm not sure where he would have picked up on this. I mean, the reason why I was asking, I mean, first of all, you being a writer yourself, um, I'm always really curious to hear the thoughts of other writers. But so Dean Pitchford is his name. And what I find so fascinating about this person is that, you know, he is largely a music guy. I mean, he, you know, won an Oscar for best original song for fame. So that precedes this by a couple years. Um, oh. He got nominated for, for this movie, but not for the writing. He got nominated because he was one of the writers behind the title song footloose. Um, I mean, he, he's a music guy. He writes songs and he's really good at it. And so I don't know if maybe I'm just a little jealous because like, I feel like I'm a, I don't, I don't have a musical bone in my body and I like focus on writing and it's still really, really hard. And here's this guy who's like a music writer and he writes this amazing screenplay. (laughs) I don't, I don't know if he was, he he was inspired by the story in Elmore city, Oklahoma, Ah. a town that had finally lifted an 80 year ban on That's dancing. Insane. So that was a, like a real thing. Okay. Thank you so, for the clarification. Yeah. Yeah. He, he collaborated on the score and to put in perspective what this guy did musically, the soundtrack dethroned a little thing called Michael Jackson's thriller. <gasps> wow. That had previously been number one on the billboard album chart. So yeah. So the footloose soundtrack is what took down thriller, which is kind of insane. Well, Vossen, this has been just such a lovely conversation. I mean, I love this movie. I love getting the chance to talk about it with you. It's been just a ton of fun. So thank you so much for being on the show. Of course. Yeah, it was it was so fun to, to talk about the movie. And uh, I feel like there, there aren't too many 
opportunities to have have a full-fledged conversation about the movie Footloose. So it was, it was a joy <laughs> to be able to really deep dive, get into it with you two. It was really fun. I mean, again, I feel like this comes up with so many of the films that we cover where like on the surface, you just aren't, I don't know, like once you actually get a chance to kind of sit down and discuss it, you realize that there's often a lot of layers to yeah. even the films that are kind of more popcorny. But yeah, it's true. So at the very top of our conversation, when I first was introducing you, I alluded to a web series that I know you were a part of. And I was wondering if you just wanted to share with our listeners what that project was all about and anything else that you might be working on. Absolutely. Uh, so the web series is called My Roommate is a Shinigami. And it's it's about a, uh, a young woman that... Um, so Shinigami, it's a character in uh, Japanese mythology and this kind of a grim reaper of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's about this young woman that was growing up Japanese, Japanese-American, very into um, Japanese mythology when she was growing up and uh, had fractured relationship with her family, moved out, found a new place, and then finds that the place that she's living in has a lot of these these creatures. And um, you know, the thing that really drew me to it was the ability to kind of show her growth through mm-hmm. being in this, uh, I guess, similar to Footloose, a fish out of water situation. <laughs> and kind of like well done. Well done with like circling exactly. back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like Footloose. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we just finished um, releasing all the episodes. Uh, if you look up My Roommate is a Shinigami on YouTube, uh, old six episodes are available. Um, and then in terms of something I'm, I'm working on at the moment, uh, currently started, I, I think pretty soon we'll start fundraising for uh, this short film called Farewell, uh, which is about uh, a young woman who has recently passed uh, and is seeking closure from three people in her life or uh, that really impacted her in her life. Uh, her best friend from high school, an ex-boyfriend, and um, her estranged father. Uh, and then kind of exploring uh, you know, what, what it means to find closure and how difficult it can be to do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just, I'm so excited for you. I mean, I love both projects. Um, I'm a sucker for anything that has to do with like supernatural or mythology. And I, again, had the great pleasure of getting to see a sneak peek of um, the short film in script form. And so to everybody out there, definitely check out his work. Um, you know, you mentioned that uh, that there might be a fundraising um, for for the short, and so we'd be happy to share along that information when it's time. And just Valson, thank you again for being on the show. We just love so much having you on, and uh, it was just amazing. Thank you. Absolutely, thank you for having me on. It was so much fun. Valson, thank you. You were so wonderful. Knew you would be, and thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for your inspirational story of how you came to know Footloose. Yeah! By way of Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that's such a fun connection. Yeah, it was for the Guardians, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really fun connection. And I love how 
you seeing one film, you know, can provide inspiration for like wanting to see something else. I mean, I like when those like little kind of like layers are added to a film. Not that every movie has to mention another movie. It's just that. Yeah, I think that's fun. So and it makes perfect sense for Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, Derek, I'm actually very curious about this one. Mm -hmm. Would you watch this film again? Yeah, I think I would. I don't know why I haven't. It's not that I've avoided it, but I have mysteriously not watched this movie prior to watching the full <laughs> full movie for this podcast, but I really liked it. I had a lot of fun with it. So yeah, I would watch it again. And it's a big guess for me. I love this movie. I've seen it a million times. I love it. Yeah, it was really good. It was, I mean, it, it simultaneously like covered these like pretty heavy issues, but then was also just essentially a movie about kids dancing. It moves, I, I'm i going to say, like pretty smoothly between the more serious moments and the more kind of corny 80 moments. Yeah. I think yeah. it does a pretty good job of weaving between that. Okay. Call to action. Hmm. I have one in mind, but. Let's, let's hear it. Well, I, okay, so it's like kind of related to the movie. Sometimes that's, that's I. perfect. <laughs> I was just curious about people's like prom memories. Oh. Prom experiences. Was this prom or was it just a dance? I'm not uh, sure. I don't think it was prom per se. They kind of dressed it up like prom. Which is why I said it's kind of connected to the yeah. movie. What so, do you think their. Okay. So mine is what do you think their glitter budget was? Oh my goodness. For that last dance? Because <laughs> that glitter was just falling and falling the whole time. I feel like at a point it's like a breathing hazard. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> So one, <laughs> what was your prom like? And two, how much glitter? <laughs> now, I i mean, it's whatever. This is so far removed from my life, but I didn't go to my prom. Oh. And I wasn't asked to my prom. Oh, I would have asked you. Aw, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually very curious. I don't, I don't have a prom experience. Um... I mean, I barely wah, have dancing wah, experience. But, so. <laughs> but if you want to get in touch with us, we would love for you to. Uh, you can reach out through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And it's the same handle for all three. It is at 80s Montage Pod and 80s is 80s. Sneak peek. I'm super excited. I mean, I, I feel like I say that every time, but every time it's actually really true. That's, That's why we do this podcast. Yeah, I was going to say. This I love is, these movies. Yeah. We're, we're doing something right then because we're having fun. <laughs> I want my $2. Oh, Better Off Dead? Yeah. Nice. Uh, not our first John Cusack movie, but no. this one does precede Say Anything. So um, definitely is a much younger John Cusack. It's a pretty wacky movie. It is so wacky. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, yeah. Savage Steve Holland uh, is the gentleman behind it. And as always, we will have a fantastic guest to talk about it with. And thank you to everybody out there for hanging with us. And we will talk to you in two weeks' time. Bye.